Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What a good morning it is. It was sunshine and bright today. Uh, I heard it was 10 degrees, but it certainly didn't feel like it. It sure felt so much warmer, brighter outside, and uh, I am looking forward to it not just being bright and sunny, but being a little warmer. We'll get there. And uh, as we do, we're going to be uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lenten season has begun, and that's going to be coming very soon. And that's always a time to look at resurrection and rebirth. It's on top of us. As we move towards that, we're going to continue speaking about Jesus and all that he has to speak to us. And as we've been doing for the last number of weeks, make an application to our life. Now, last week, we didn't get a chance to do that too much because we had a big power outage just locally. Uh, There was a line down on 16 Mile Road that was smoldering till just about 930 and by the time the power came on here, it was, it was still cold, and uh, there was a lot of ozone smell in the place. So we were online last week, and uh, grateful to be here with the power on. And uh, don't, uh, don't forget to pray for those who are in the Southwest. It was a, just, that's a small reminder of how much they're suffering, uh, those who've been without power for so long. We were only out just the morning, and... Still, it, it hurts just to have that brief time off. So it's, it's a reminder to remember those who are suffering. That's part of just living our uh, faith as well, remembering others. So as we go further into what Jesus has to say to us and do our best to make some life application, uh, we're doing this uh, delving into the Word of God because we need to know the Word of God. That is a must We need to know his word from those beginning books of the Bible that we saw in the treehouse, the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the rest. But we need to more than just know them, right? We can know it inside out, upside down, but if we don't put it into practice, then what's it all about, really? That's why we're doing our best to talk about making some life application, focusing on the commands, the teachings of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We've called it the life apps of Jesus, and we've covered some of the foundational elements. Jesus talked about them early in what we've been covering, the Sermon on the Mount. But even before that, obedience, being obedient to Jesus and what he has to say. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about baptism. We've talked about our faith being scrutinized and uh, feeling a little bit of pain, discomfort, persecution, because we do believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about some of these things in his opening remarks of that great uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, When you're persecuted for his sake, uh, how do we we deal with that? So we, we talked about that and made some application. And we move along this morning in this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was teaching a large crowd of people, they'd taken to follow him because he was doing miracles and signs and wonders. 
And he took the opportunity because they followed him for that reason. He said, hey, I wanna, I'm going to teach you. Sit down here on this hillside. And that's what he did. And just remember, this was a group of regular people, regular Jewish uh, folk. It was uh, just the typical Galileans. And Jesus sat them down. He began with the, the Beatitudes. And the, the Beatitudes present a broad image of virtue. And this is what Jesus would desire of those who would follow him. And then he, he continued speaking in some broad terms. He spoke of uh, being salt and light. And we will speak to that. We're going to cover that in a, a future week. And then Jesus, he's still speaking in kind of these broad brush terms. And he started to talk about the law, the law and the prophets. And it's that section we're going to look at today. And it's a section of scripture that's been debated often. And not just this portion, but in other areas of the Bible that speak about the law, especially in the New Testament, and what is our responsibility as Christians to the law? How do we follow it? Should we follow it? There's uh, quite a few questions. But Jesus here, he's speaking in pretty broad terms to this crowd. So make an application. is going to be that way. It's going to be a bit of a, a broad look at this because Jesus was then going to move forward. Remember, it's still early on in the Sermon on the Mount. He was going to move forward and start to really start to dice and slice this idea of the, the law and the prophets, get into some real specifics of it. And this is a great way to teach. Start with the broad and then narrow it down uh, and delve into these specifics. So lay out the full breadth and then let's talk about this piece and this piece and this piece. And that's the way Jesus was approaching it. It's a great way to teach. Uh, so this morning, as we're on this broad section, that's the way the application will be. But remember this, it's going to get much more specific as we move forward because that's the way Jesus is approaching it. So let's look at this section of scripture. It's Matthew chapter 5. It's verses 17 to 20. It's the area that we'll focus this morning. And as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a big swath that Jesus is laying down here. He said this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So again, Jesus is speaking of the law and the prophets. That's a big chunk of the Jewish faith. That's the bulk of what we call the Old Testament. They would call the Tanakh. Jesus is 
Uh, again, it's just this big, big piece. And as he moves on, he's going he's gonna to dissect it. He'll dissect the law. He's going to explain pieces of it. But before he moves into these specifics, he says some things about this idea of the law. I'm not here to nullify it. I'm not going to abolish it. In some versions of the English Bible, the word destroy is used. I'm not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but what? But to fulfill them. And we'll get to what that means, what this word fulfill means. Jesus made this broad statement, but then he employed a linguistic technique. And that technique is simple. It's repetition. I'm going to tell you once and I'm going to tell you again so that it sinks in. It makes the point. People get the idea that he's serious about this. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Then the repetition. And the repetition begins with this, truly I tell you. And there, that there is also an emphasis. The Greek word there is amen. Amen. And he he uses this word, and it was often used to start an assertion, meaning truly or verily, making emphasis. And amen, as we use it, and it was used then as well, at the end of a statement, to confirm it. So amen meaning so be it, it's done, fulfilled. This is how Jesus starts with this emphasis, amen. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And that helps us to understand what he means by fulfill. He doesn't want to, anyone to miss the point at all of what he's saying. He makes his statement and then he repeats it more dramatically with this emphasis at the beginning, amen. And then he adds this bit of drama to it until heaven and earth pass away. That's dramatic. This isn't something that he's just glossing over. Until heaven and earth pass away. Nothing's going out of this law. Not the least stroke of the pen. Not the smallest letter. That's the Greek iota. Not one little iota is going away until everything's accomplished. And accomplished helps us understand this word fulfill. Accomplishing, Jesus came to accomplish, to fulfill the law and the prophets. And what does accomplish mean? But to finish, to bring something to its intended end. And that was Jesus' purpose in this idea of accomplishment. He's going to bring it to an end. The completing of the intended end of this law and the prophets. But this introduces some tension. And it's tension that's been controversial in Christianity. For a long, long time. And the tensions between Jesus insisting nothing in this law is abolished. And not one little iota. But then saying, well, I've come to finish it and complete it. So it's, it, I'm bringing it to an end in a sense. So which is it? Is it the law? Does the law continue? Or is the law ended? Did Jesus finish it? Did he accomplish it? And it's done. The short answer is the law stands. The law stands, but it stands differently than the way that first century audience that Jesus was speaking to on that hillside understood this idea of law and righteousness. Their understanding of the law and righteousness 
It came from the people who were their leaders in the faith, who were called the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the experts of the law. And Jesus said to the crowd, you must do better. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty strong statement. Imagine if you were sitting there. It's a pretty stunning statement. It has the command in it. Your righteousness, it has to surpass these Pharisees. It has to surpass the experts in the law. Otherwise, guess what? No kingdom of heaven for you. Wouldn't that shock you? I'm wondering, is, is this to get them on the edge of their seats so they'll listen to the rest of what he's talking about? It certainly isn't a mild-mannered statement. You don't get to go into the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness surpasses even the experts, the teachers. Just imagine you're one of these typical Galileans. You're sitting on the hillside. Maybe you're a fisherman or you're involved in that, the business of the local culture. You go to synagogue regularly. You're a faithful Jewish person. You listen to the leaders of your faith. You listen to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What they tell you. And what do they tell you? They tell you what, what this law means. They tell you about what the prophets are all about. They know the law. They interpret it to the nth degree. And then they go to great lengths to display what this idea of righteousness means. That they're righteous law keepers. Then this Jesus who's teaching you says, you got to be more righteous than they are. How, did, how? How can that even be? They're the experts after all. How can anyone do better than them? How can my righteousness surpass my teacher, the one who knows it all? How can, how can that happen? Had to stun them. But Jesus gave him a little hint. He gave, gave him a little hint in verse 19. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We have to practice and teach. The experts were great at knowing. They were great at knowing and practicing their form of righteousness. But it wasn't the righteousness of God that they knew or taught. We can learn a little bit, uh, gain some insight from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome, and it helps us to understand this because Paul was a Pharisee. And in Romans chapter 10, he writes a little bit about his colleagues, these Pharisees and these experts in the law. Romans 10, 2 to uh, 3 says, For I, Paul, can testify about them, the Pharisees, that they're zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. The righteousness that was taught and practiced by the Pharisees, it was skewed, it was misaligned, it wasn't God's righteousness. It was their own. Jesus would 
go on later to call these Pharisees and these experts in the law broods of vipers. He'd call them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He'd say, the cup, you're like a, you're like a cup and saucer that are clean on the outside, but clean up the inside because on the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. He mints no words. In Matthew 5, here at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this broad assertion that the, the Pharisees' uh, righteousness isn't enough. You need to surpass it. And that likely shocked many in the crowd who saw these leaders as their standard. This, this was who they looked up to. This was their standard for righteousness. It's not getting you into the kingdom, Jesus said. You need to, you need to do better. Wow, how, how? They, they must have thought, how can we even do that? How can we live righteously? We need to know and practice God's righteousness, not, not the pharisaical righteousness. This is the idea of knowing God's word and living God's word, God's righteousness. So let's, Try to find some application. Go to what we call the the life app. First, live every day. Live every day knowing that because of Jesus, you're saved from the law. Jesus saves from the law. He made the statement, I come to fulfill the law. That's why I'm here. He was going to accomplish everything in the law. And he did that for every single one of us. Jesus has saved us from the law as the way to be righteous before God. The law is not the mediator. Jesus is. The Judaism had made the law the mediator between man and God. This was going to win man back to God. The law was the mediator. Righteousness was earned. It was earned through the law and keeping of the law. It was only by the law that one could be justified, righteous before God. This is how the Pharisees taught it. Jesus rejected that. He rejected this idea as, of law as mediator. Because Jesus is the one and only mediator between mankind and God. To stand justified before God. The idea that you could say, just as if I'd never sinned and be declared righteous before God Almighty. That comes only by Jesus. Only by Jesus. And yet the law stands. Yet the law is there. He did not abolish it. We're not anti-law. The law stands, but it stands in a new light, and that's the light of Jesus. That's the light of Jesus as mediator established law and God's appointed way of holiness, which begins by yielding your life to Jesus. Jesus is the establisher of the law. He is the law giver. Just think about John, John's gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1, says that Jesus, before he walked the earth, he is the Word. The Word is God. Jesus is 
the word. He is the, the one who established the word. He is the word. He established law. He's the law giver. So then, if we break the law, for breaking of the law, Jesus dispensed forgiveness. And that's an amazing thing. He dispensed forgiveness as only the lawgiver can do. That's, he's the only one that can do it. He dispensed forgiveness in full support of the law as, as what? what? He's forgiving. What's the law doing then? The law is convincing that we're sinners. The law is the convincing word that we have sinned. Paul, again, Paul explains this in that letter to Romans. He explains it in depth, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. He begins to talk about this idea of law. Should it be kept? What does it mean? And he somewhat gives a summary in verse 7 of chapter 7. And it's really concise. And this is what he said. This is what he wrote. Romans 7, 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I, will, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So, the law still stands. And if the law still stands, you might ask, what was I doing a couple of weeks ago when I stood up here and I, I said that, Neglecting such things as circumcision. Or if you violate the dietary laws and you have a bacon or a ham sandwich, uh, that's not sinful. How can this be reconciled? There's all these arguments. How can it be reconciled? Jesus. Jesus. It's all Jesus. We can find some help that this is the case by going right back to the law. We heard in the treehouse this idea of being set apart. Well, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 20 and read a little bit of read a little bit of the law and when we get to the end, it might help us shed some light on what Jesus is doing. After all the whole Old Testament's pointing to Jesus. Leviticus chapter 20 Verses 25 and 26. It says, you must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground. Those that I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Now this Leviticus 20, it's, it's the end here of a whole list of laws, a whole list of uh, different rules, different laws to follow, dietary, etc. Why all these laws that include what's clean to eat and what's not clean, what can be touched, what shouldn't be touched? Well, God said it. I have set you apart to be my own. Now that was for the people of the old covenant. But it's for all of us too. It's for all of us. How are we set apart? How are we set apart to be God's very own? Jesus did not abolish that. That law still stands. How are we set apart? It's not by circumcision. It's not by what we eat or what we don't eat. 
We're set apart to be God's very own by Jesus and only Jesus. And that's, that's the greatest life application we can move every single day in and live in. Again, John chapter 1, it says, uh, whoever received Jesus, to those who believed, he gave them the right to be called children of God, born of God. You can't be more set apart than that to be God's child. The law of clean and unclean, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He fully accomplished uh, our being set apart for God. Those laws were brought to their destination. They were brought to their intended end. Their necessity ceased because of Jesus, but the law was not abolished or destroyed. A setting apart must still occur. It has to occur. But it doesn't occur through food and drink and clothes and hairstyles. It's about Christ. And it's by Christ that we are set apart to be God's very own. Indeed, to be called his children. And that's an amazing thing. And now the same still holds for these ceremonial laws that included all the animal sacrifice for sin and guilt. We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. But sacrifice is still necessary. I touched a little bit of, on that last week, if you were able to just catch online, but I'll review right here. The law of sacrifice still stands. It has not been abolished. Sacrifice is still necessary. Jesus has fulfilled all the laws of sacrifice. How did he do that? Because he became the one and the final and the perfect sacrifice through his precious blood given on the cross for every single one of us. Receive that sacrifice. Receive the sacrifice of his life-giving payment for the penalty of sin. Because there's no other sacrifice that'll ever do it. It's the one and the final, and none else is necessary. God's righteousness is accomplished for us through Christ alone. Jesus has saved us from the law as the way to be righteous. And Jesus saves us to the law. Now, what does that mean? How can that be? Paul said, I wouldn't have known sin without the law. Wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known that coveting was a sin without it stating you shall not covet. So Paul used an example from where? From the commandments. We call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. It's also called the Moral Law. Jesus fulfilled all of those too. He accomplished them perfectly. He kept them 100%. He never sinned. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He gave his life. He didn't abolish those laws. He didn't abolish what Moses received on the tablets. He didn't abolish the Ten Commandments. Jesus saved us from having to perfectly keep the law. And as penitent sinners were forgiven and the righteous perfection of Jesus stands in front of us, it's given to us. By forgiving us and granting us his righteousness, Jesus saved us from the law, but he also saved us to the law to be obedient as he was, as he modeled 
And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll find out that he reiterates. Why, why would that be? It's, so we become more Christ-like. He saved us to the law, to be obedient as he was. As he continued on the Sermon on the Mount, it's higher ethical planes. It's more emphasis on these commands. It's more intensity. And we're going to see that, that he reaffirmed and he intensified all of them. And it's to be obedient, not as a means to righteousness. No, no, it's, it's not as the means to righteousness. That was the Pharisaical approach. It's in gratitude, obedience and gratitude for what we received from Jesus, which is new life, eternal life. Christians are called to obedience, not self-righteousness, not, not the righteousness of the, uh, the Pharisees outward, motivated by what people see. That's the Pharisaical obedience that Paul wrote about. It was not God's righteousness. It was their own. And that we're not called to our own righteousness. No, we're saved by the righteousness of Christ. Those Christians were not law keepers to be righteous before God. No, because we can't ever do it perfectly. Who can? Raise your hand if you've done it perfectly. The righteousness of perfection comes only by Jesus Christ, who perfectly, perfectly kept the law. The old way is the law's mediator, keeping the law to merit favor with God. That was, that was the old covenant. As Christians, we're not under the obligation to keep the law as earning favor with God. We don't do it to merit our salvation. Yet, we're changed. We're changed when we yield our lives to Jesus. We're changed when we're born again. It's a real experience. It's not just some, it's not just some words that are said. Being born again is a real experience and it's an experience of change that draws us and uh, gives us a desire to want to be closer to Jesus. We've talked about repentance and yielding our lives and then what follows and obedience in uh, baptism to rise to newness of life, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're law keepers because of this new life which was brought about by one and only one, Jesus. Jesus accomplished that for all of us. The law wasn't abolished. He didn't abolish it. No, he, he, he invites us to, to keep it in him. The law is to be kept in Christ. Obedience to the, to the moral law doesn't become optional because of Jesus. No, it's as a reflection. We're obedient as a reflection of our salvation found only in him. That's the righteousness of God. That's, that's what we are called to live daily. How do we live it daily? Keep this in front of you. and Keep this in front of you as we, in the weeks to come, begin to go through more and more what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Keep it in front of you that Jesus saved you from the law as the means to righteousness. To, to live righteously, Jesus saved us to the law.
to be kept because he is our righteousness. Let's keep that in front of us as we move deeper into what Jesus has to teach us and tell us. And if you've not yielded your life, if you've never yielded your life over, if you've thought, ah, maybe I can earn it, maybe if I do some good things, I'll keep doing good deeds. That's not the surpassing that Jesus is looking for, to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. He wants you to yield over to him and say, you be my righteousness. You, you stand before me. So if that's something you've never done, take it in your heart this morning to do that. It's the one and only way to be right before God, to enter into the kingdom of God. Let's stand as we pray and close our service. Lord, help us to be people who continually keep the righteousness of Jesus Christ before us. God, if our hearts ever take us to a place where it's about what we do, it's about our righteousness, please, please check us. Please help us. God, may we never, ever count on ourselves to be right before you. God, help us to lay it completely, fully, all before Jesus Christ and allow his righteousness to stand as our mediator, not our good works. God, help, our, help, us, help us live with a desire to follow Christ. Help, though, help us have a, a life that reflects him where the fruit of good works and good deeds is following and flowing because he is our righteousness, because he did everything for us, because he died for us and gave it all. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room within my listening voice that has never, ever given their life over, God, I pray that there's repentance now, that there's a turning to say, I, it's not worked, I've sinned to say that I can do it. God, I pray there's a yielding to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and a reception of that. Lord, bless and turn and do good. Do good, Lord, help. Thank you, Jesus. We commit our lives to you. Help us to keep in front of us always that you have saved us from the law and yet saved us to it. God, May it be in our hearts and in our minds. Bless all who are here, God, now, and keep them safe through the remainder of this week, God. We pray that you would return us back to worship and draw more. We pray that you would continue to move uh, your hand upon this virus and the pandemic and push it down, God. And we pray that uh, we'd be able to be back with more and more of the saints in the house, Lord. Help us to get back to a life beyond 
this plague. We pray that, God, in Jesus' name, and we ask your blessing in it all. Amen and amen.